Psalm 37 of David. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And then our New Testament reading is from Matthew 5. Matthew 5, you'll find that on page 1029. And I'll begin at verse 2 and read to the end of verse 5. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Our good and gracious God, we give thanks and praise to you that you have not been silent, that you have spoken to us with such clarity in the Scriptures, and we pray that as we sit under the ministry of your Word this morning that you would speak to us, and that our heavenly Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, would call us by name so that we might follow him, delighting in his grace and mercy and imitating his life. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. There's a lot of talk nowadays about human rights. A woman, as you know, according to our culture, has a right to abortion. Prisoners have right to televisions and entertainment and better food. And even children have rights, according to the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Children, which was ratified in 1989. There's a lot of talk about rights. There's very little talk about privileges, or very little talk about what we as sinners have a right to at the hands of a holy and just God. And so the words of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning when he speaks about the blessing that comes to the meek are counter-cultural words. 
They speak contrary to what our culture would encourage us to think and speak contrary to what we perhaps ourselves have imbibed. Well, what is this meekness that the Lord Jesus is speaking about that describes his people? Is it pacifism? Or is it weakness? Or is it uh, timidity in the face of others? Well, it can't just be that because we know that there are times when our Lord commands us to go to war. He wants us to be bold and courageous to stand up for right in the midst of an unbelieving world. And it is proper for us on occasion to be angry as long as in our anger we do not sin. So what is meekness if it is not weakness or becoming a doormat for others to walk all over us? Well, if you scan through the Scriptures, you'll see that meekness has a, uh, an attitude towards both God and humans. With reference to God, to, to be meek means that we willingly submit to all of His commandments all the time. Whatever God tells us to do, we do. There's no special pleading. There's no suggestion that somehow we are exempt from any of his commandments. Our attitude is one of glad submission to God's law. But it's not only with glad submission to God's law. Meekness also means that we have glad submission to God's providence. As you are all too painfully aware of, and not all of God's plans for us are delightful. They cause us sometimes grief and hardship and are a tremendous burden to us. And our tendency is to argue with God or to complain about His ways, to suggest that He should do things differently and that we deserve to have things done differently to us. But if we have a meek spirit, we will gladly submit we will willingly embrace not only his goodness, but also his wisdom in the ordering of our lives. Meekness towards God is obedience to his commandment and submission to his providence. But this meekness is not only a Godward attitude. It spills over into our engagement with one another. And so a person who is meek towards others is not one who is always insisting on his own way, not someone who is bombastic, who is pursuing his own rights, who doesn't care about others, who runs roughshod over other people's opinions, desires, and needs. A person who is meek is someone who gladly is willing to be injured by others, who forgives the faults of other people, someone who is willing to repay evil with good. Such a person is meek. And these two attitudes, both towards God and towards our fellow humans, they are really interconnected in a significant way. In fact, it's possible to say that we don't really understand to what degree meek meekness has permeated our lives until we look at how we interact with one another. That is to say, it's, it's relatively easy to be meek towards God, to recognize our sinfulness before Him, 
and to recognize his justice and his authority and might. He is, after all, the great one, the majestic one, the one who is almighty, who sits in the heavens and does whatever he pleases. He's also the God of holiness and perfection. He is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So it's easy, relatively easy, to compare ourselves to God and to be humble and meek before him, to submit to him, to acknowledge his authority and his perfection. But it's less easy to do that in relation with, to, in relation with one another. It's easier there to become proud and haughty and arrogant, to, to think of yourself as better than everyone else, and to demand that people serve you rather than you serve them, to insist on your way rather than other people's ways and desires. John Stott, uh, an Anglican who died in, in, at the end of last century, said it in a very helpful way like this. He was part of the Church of England, an Anglican church that regularly used the Book of Common Prayer. And in one of the confessions of sin, he says, we acknowledge that we are miserable sinners before God. And he says, I was glad to do that in confession of sin, in the corporate worship, in reference to God. But he says, if someone were to come after me, or come to me rather, after the service, and tell me I was a miserable sinner. He said, I would have to control myself lest I punch him on the nose. That is, it was okay for him to acknowledge that before God, but when other people stated what he had just acknowledged about himself, well then, he was quite upset about it. And it's really, that is to say, it's really when we are meek and humble towards our brothers and sisters and others that we really know that our attitude towards God and our disposition before Him is actually meek. That's an important thing for us to understand. And that's why it's not insignificant that our Lord Jesus ordered the Beatitudes in the way that He did. This is the third beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But it follows the first two, obviously, but it follows poverty of spirit and a mourning of heart. That is, we will only be meek before God and others when we have an accurate assessment of ourselves as those who are poor in spirit, who have nothing to offer to God, no merit to claim before Him, nothing to recommend ourselves. We are sinners. We are miserable sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. We are indebted to God because of our sin and disobedience. It's when we understand that, and when that understanding is not simply an intellectual exercise, but has grabbed a hold of our hearts so we weep and we lament our sin before the Lord, it is only when we have a proper estimate of ourselves before God in His holiness that we will then be able to be meek both before God and before one another. It is meekness that comes out of a sense of our own brokenness and ruin by sin that 
cannot claim any rights before God or others except the right to be cast into eternal judgment. It is only when we are gripped by that that we will be able to say to the Lord, whatever you say, I will do. Whatever you ordain in my life, I will gladly receive. And when we will be able to be forgiving and kind and tender towards those around us, bearing with the injuries that others might impose upon us. So meekness is an attitude and disposition of humility and gentleness before God and others that is born out of an accurate assessment of our own poverty before God. And Jesus says to his disciples that the meek shall inherit the earth. Now that's, as I mentioned earlier, completely countercultural to the way we think. It's those who insist on their own rights. It's those who are brave and courageous and strong, who run roughshod over other people. Those are the ones who get what they want. The meek only inherit the earth, as one bumper sticker says. The meek only inherit the earth if we let them inherit the earth. But Jesus says that's not the way the kingdom works. The kingdom is not achieved by insisting on our own rights, uh, on the basis of, of our own efforts, but it is a matter of meekness. This comes across so wonderfully in Psalm 37, which we read. Notice there a number of times within the psalm, it says that uh, those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. That's verse 9. Verse 11, the meek shall inherit the land, probably the verse that our Lord was quoting from in his beatitude. And then later on in verse 22, which we didn't read, it says those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. You see what Jesus is saying then in reference to Psalm 37. It's not those who take matters into their own hands that receive the blessing of God. It is those who wait upon the Lord, who trust in Him, who delight themselves in the Lord. It's, it's actually quite a contrast here. It's the wicked. They shall be cut off. And it's those who wait for the Lord who will inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you carefully look at His place, He will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land. And so the Lord is teaching us that we must wait upon Him. We must trust in Him, not take matters into our own hands, but to trust that in His due time, according to His infinite wisdom, the Lord will bless us with the inheritance of the earth. Well, what is, thirdly, what is the inheritance of of the earth. What is the earth that we shall inherit? What is our Lord speaking about? Well, if you know the Old Testament Scriptures, you know that land was a big part of the promise of God. He had said already to Abram that Abram's descendants would inherit the land. It was reiterated to Isaac, and then again to Jacob, and then Israel finally received the land out of the hand of the Lord under the, the leadership of Joshua. But it wasn't just the land that was so important. This is what is so crucial for us to understand. If we're to understand the blessings of God's grace as they are pictured for us in the Old Testament, the real blessing of God was, 
was not the inheritance of a parcel of land in the Middle East. That's why the writer to the Hebrews can say that Abram was not that concerned about the land because he was looking for a a city that was to come whose architect and builder is gone. But the land was a picture of God's blessings to his people. And particularly, the land was a picture of dwelling in the presence of God, enjoying the fellowship of God. You might know that this is how it started in the beginning when God created the Garden of Eden. What was the the special blessing of the Garden of Eden? It wasn't just that it produced all kinds of fruits and that Adam and Eve were perfectly happy and physically happy with everything that they could possibly imagine they needed. But it was that God walked in in the garden in the cool of the day. And then when he brought his judgment upon Adam and Eve, because of their sin and rebellion against him. What was the real curse? Well, they were driven from the Garden of Eden, but more significantly, they were driven from the presence of God, because Eden was the temple of God. That's where God dwelt and met with his people. And similarly, with the land that was promised to Abram and to his descendants, it wasn't just the land. It was that God had promised, had committed himself to dwelling with his people in the land. And so later on when Israel was recalcitrant, when they refused to repent of their many disobediences and sins, and when God finally brought his judgment upon them and exiled them to Babylon, notice how it's described in 2 Kings 24. Surely this exile came upon Judah at the command of the Lord to remove them out of his sight. Or as it says at the end of that section in 2 Kings 24, verse 20, for because of the anger of the Lord, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast them out from his presence. That was the blessing of the land, enjoying the presence of God and the showers of His grace upon them because of His presence. And judgment was being exiled from the presence of God, brought into foreign lands, driven from the land that had been promised to His people on oath years ago. And so when we come to the New Testament, we understand that to the Old Testament land was a picture of the blessings and favor of God. And that's why Jesus can say, as he quotes from Psalm 37, it's not just that the meek shall inherit the land, the piece of real estate in the Middle East, but it's the pe- that the meek shall inherit the earth. And that's why the Apostle Paul can say in Romans 4 verse 13 that Abram was promised the world. Because whatever he was promised in the Old Testament was was just a picture of what he actually was going to inherit. And so what we inherit as the people of God is the whole earth. That's why the Apostle John can say in John 21 that he saw the new heavens and the new earth come down out of heaven from God. So that in the new heavens and the new earth, which will be right here on planet earth, a, a, a planet that has been purified by the the purifying fires of of God's holiness, 
This is where heaven will be. And the great blessing of heaven is not that we'll be able to enjoy just the physical property, but the great joy of heaven is that God Himself will be there with His people. Listen to how the Apostle John sees it and records it for us in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What is the blessing of heaven? It is enjoying the favor of God. God with us in order to bless us. And so when you read, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, that's how you're to understand that. What does God promise His people, those who are meek? He promises them His everlasting presence to do them good for all eternity. You'll know, because I've quoted this numerous times, that wonderful hymn of Samuel Rutherford, as he speaks about heaven, what is the glory of heaven? What makes heaven heaven? It's not freedom from sin. It's not freedom from tears. What makes heaven heaven is that the Lord Jesus Christ is there. The Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. And you remember that Emmanuel means God with us. So that heaven is Emmanuel's land because it really is the God with us land. That's the blessing. That's the inheritance that Jesus promises to the meek. And then finally, notice that it's the meek who shall inherit the earth. They shall inherit. Now, when we think about inheritance, we should banish from our thinking all thoughts of earning. It's not the meek shall, by their meekness, have a right to the earth and the presence of God. Salvation is, is never by our contributions. It is always of grace, so that the inheritance of the earth is a gift that is granted to us, not on the basis of our meekness, but on the basis of of God's grace in Jesus Christ. It is the meek who shall inherit the earth. Now, it is interesting to me to think through about uh, meek men on earth. And in the Old Testament, in Numbers 12, verse 3, we read about Moses and what is distinctive about Moses? Well, Moses, we read there, was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. So here's Moses, the meekest man that the earth has known. And yet when it came to entering into the promised land, 
Moses was banished from the promised land. He could not go in. This was God's judgment upon Moses because when he ought to have been meek in Numbers 20, when the Lord commanded him to speak to the rock so that water would come out of it, Moses instead struck the rock. And because of that act of disobedience, he could not go into the land. It was a kindness of the Lord to take Moses up Mount Pisgah so that he could see all the land that had been promised to the, the descendants of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. But Moses himself could not go into the land. He was the meekest man in all the earth, and yet he could not enter the land. Because though he was the meekest man, he was not perfect in his meekness. You see, if there's ever any thought that we can earn the blessings of God. Know this, that you must earn them by perfection. You can't be pretty good. You can't be just better than most people or better than many people. You have to be absolutely perfect because any sin will drive you from the presence of God. Moses was meek. He was the meekest, but he wasn't meek enough. And yet what is so fascinating is that in the New Testament, we see Moses in glory. Not on Mount Pisgah, but on another mount, the Mount of Transfiguration. You know that story where Jesus takes up Peter, James, and John and goes up to a mountain, and while they're on the mountain, this great cloud came down, and, and Moses was standing there, and Elijah was standing there, and, and they were standing there speaking with Jesus. And, and the fascinating thing is, is that Moses is speaking with Jesus about the Exodus. You know, So here's Moses, who, who was part of the exodus out of the land of Egypt, but, but he never quite made it to the promised land. Well, this is another exodus that, that he did actually make, that he was taken from this earth and he was brought into heaven. He's standing there in glory. So how did Moses get to heaven when Moses couldn't get to the promised land? It wasn't because of his meekness. We've already seen that was insufficiently. He was insufficiently meek. It was because of the meekness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is standing in glory with Jesus because it's the Lord Jesus who brought him to glory. You know, when you read through the gospel accounts, the word meek is used of the disciples here in Matthew 5, verse 5. It's used two other times in the New Testament. One in Matthew 11, when the Lord Jesus Christ describes himself as me. Come to me, he says, all you labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And then later on, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 1 speaks about the meekness of the Lord Jesus. And it's because of Jesus' meekness that we enter the promised land and enjoy the favor of God's grace. What was it about the Lord Jesus? Well, he was meek towards his heavenly Father. It was his food and drink to do his Father's will. Even when the command of God and the providence of God meant that he would face excruciating hardship and pain, 
Our Lord Jesus gladly submitted to it. Not my will, he said, but your will be done. It was overwhelming for him. He sweat drops of blood because of the agony of what his heavenly Father asked of him. But he was meek. And when it meant that he had to go to the cross and bear on the cross the wrath of a holy God against sin, our Lord Jesus did not shrink back, but he went. In meekness, he went to the cross. It wasn't in weakness that he went to the cross. He had power sufficient. He could, with one word, have vanquished all of his enemies, destroyed the Jews who clamored for his death, disarmed the Romans who had mocked him and ridiculed him and nailed the, the, the nails into his hands on the cross. It wasn't weakness. It was meekness. Children, you might be interested to know that the word meek is used outside the Bible to speak about a horse that has been tamed. Now, a horse that is tamed does what his master wants him to do. But it doesn't mean that he couldn't do anything else. A tamed horse doesn't mean that he loses all his muscle and loses all his strength. It's just that his strength and his attitude has been subdued and submissive. Well, that's true about our Lord Jesus. He went to the cross not in weakness but in meekness able to do whatever he wanted to do because he was the God-man, but in glad, willing submission to his heavenly Father. In meekness, he went to the cross. And then just think about the meekness of our Lord Jesus towards others. It's true he could rebuke sinners. He cast them out of the temple when they were exchanging money. It was true that he could have some harsh words to the Pharisees because of their hypocrisy. But listen to Jesus as he speaks to his disciples and patiently explains to them what the kingdom of God is, or how tender he is when the woman wishes to anoint his feet and wash them, anoint his feet with oil and dry them with her hair. Or as he comes up to a woman who has just lost her son, the widow who has just lost her son, and he in compassion and kindness uh, takes care of her. Or listen to him on the cross, praying for the forgiveness of those who had put him to death. He's meek, not only towards God, but meek towards others. And it's because of the meekness of our Lord Jesus Christ that Moses, the meekest man on the earth, it's because of the meekness of our Lord Jesus that Moses was able to enter the land and enjoy the presence of the glory of God. And that's the only way that we can as well. And so it comes back to our Lord Jesus. It always does, doesn't it? And we're called to trust in him, not to insist on rights, Rights will get us nowhere, particularly with a holy God whom we've offended by our sin. It's not rights you want. It's mercy. And it's mercy you'll get if you confess your sin and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, the meekness of Christ, 
will bring you mercy. And then look at the Lord Jesus Christ, not only for mercy, but also to know how to become meek. Thomas Watson, children, this will be helpful to you. Thomas Watson said it like this. You know, when you're copying something out of a book, I think you still have to do that in school nowadays. But as you copy, you keep looking back to the book that you have to copy. And if you don't look at the book, you're going to make mistakes in what you're copying. And so this is what Watson says. Always keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus, the one who is meek and lowly. And then be like him. Copy him. In the way that you respond to the providences of God, in the way that you interact with your brothers and sisters, with your uh, friends and neighbors, always be like the Lord Jesus. Because these are the descriptions of Christians, and one of them is, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray together. Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Without him, we would be thoroughly lost. And because of him, and because of his meekness, his willing submission to your will, his kind disposition towards those who've wronged him, it is because of the Lord Jesus that we can enter the eternal rest that you have provided for us. So give us grace, and not to insist on rights, not to think of ourselves better than we are, either in relation to you or in relation to one another, but to trust in the Lord Jesus, the one who went to the cross in meekness for our salvation. And we pray that you would bless the Holy Supper to us, that we would come with that kind of reverence and devotion to the Lord Jesus, knowing that his meekness meant that his blood was shed and his body was given for us. And as we celebrate together as brothers and sisters, give us this encouragement and strengthen us with this commitment that we will be meek towards one another as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.